I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol, Aird, and Therese Belovet are fan fiction-ass names. Like... As names, those are trying really hard. Like, well, it feels like someone in the seventh grade wrote those names. Well, it also sounds like a mid-century lesbian author came up with them, <laughs> yeah. which is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on AO3 now. Oh, no. Looking at Therese Carroll fanfiction. And let's see. Okay. I'm going to give the virgins a little uh, tutorial on how to use AO3. Mm. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look only for completed works. Mm. And then I'm going to sort by kudos. And we'll see with the most popular... Carol fanfiction is. Okay, it's called Better Than Fiction. It's by Simply Sally. Okay, here's some of the tags. Fluff, angst, first time, lesbian sex, romance, slow burn, age difference, <laughs> librarians, <laughs> smut, religious conflict, alcohol abuse slash alcoholism. Okay, here's the synopsis. Life as a librarian in rural Alabama was driving Therese Bellavette slowly insane. And then a new family from Vermont moved into town and everything changed. When she meets the sexy wife of the new paper mill manager, Sparks Fly, a song by Taylor Swift. Also, here's one where Carol is a doctor in Doctors Without Borders. Not that! <laughs> uh, so today we're talking about... Carol, the 2015 film starring Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara, mm. uh, based on the novel The Price of Salt by Patricia Highsmith, mm-hmm. um, which is considered a you know contemporary lesbian classic, a queer Christmas favorite. Oh right! And we're going to be you know talking all about Carol. Um, our first experiences with it. We're going to be talking about lesbians, Christmas gloves, high speed chases. 
uh, and you know maybe some of the other works of Patricia Highsmith because this is Like a Virgin the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes I'm Rose Damu and I'm Fran Torado I think we have talked on this podcast before about whether or not we would eat human flesh. Honestly, multiple times. Multiple times. Yeah. In case it hasn't made it to air, I don't think anyone will be surprised to find out that, yes, I would eat human flesh. And not only, like, would I hypothetically do it, like, I would actively like to try it. And that is why when I watched the first five minutes of the movie Bones and All, I was like... This is a movie written, art directed, produced, and concepted by Rose Damu. Like, it was so your zhuzh. Yes. I actually wrote the YA novel that <laughs> yeah. and a ghostwriter paid Luca Guadagnino to yeah. adapt it. They, they didn't even have to yeah. option it. I just said, here, please take it. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so we've both seen Bones and All. I saw it last week. Um, I... I loved it. I so knew much. you would. So it's so delicious. It was incredible. No pun intended. I knew that I would love it, and I was so happy to be proven right. It was such a beautiful movie. Like I I was gagged. Yeah. And I I Were was gagged? gagged. I thought it was so much fun. Like nonstop fun on the world building level. Like and you could tell that the source material was just like really sharp and fun. Like, so just to, if the basis is there's boy meets girl and there's like bisexual cannibal meets bisexual cannibal. Um, and that's what this story is. And in this world, which is in the 80s, um, cannibals are a somewhat common, not common thing in society. And they're frequently, you know, abandoned as kids. And so there are like cannibals roaming around society that are kind of. And they can smell each other. And they can smell each other from far away, and they're all kind of feral, right? There are a lot of specific things about this world of cannibal culture that was so cool. And that was just something that I really, just from jump, was sucked into. Yeah, and and the thing that I liked about the way that this world was set up was that it was so Mm matter-of-fact, and, like, you learned things as the character learned things. So the, the main character is this girl who, like, all her life she's lived with her dad and they've gone from town to town as she has killed and mauled people. And once she turns 18, he, you know, like, abandons her for good with some information about her family. And Taylor Russell, I think, plays her with this really incredible frankness. Like, she's naive, but in a way where she is very, like, curious. Mm. And I love how matter-of-fact she is and how she's, like, obviously is in these, like, really intense circumstances, but, like, makes them very believable and very grounded. And I just thought, like, she gave such an incredible performance, especially alongside Timothy, who, you know, plays this, this cannibal who she meets on the road and they fall in love. And I had been wondering, like, would Timothy's star power be, like, kind of distracting? But I actually felt that it was very additive to the movie because you had to have someone with that much 
charisma in that role to understand like how they would be drawn to each other. And I think like the Timothy Chalamet of it all worked really well in that vessel. Yeah, I loved Timmy. I really loved that also. Yeah, so uh, just to your point about Taylor Russell, like I think, yeah, the, the naivete of her character was balanced well with the fact that she's a survivor, right? Like the, this, this whole mm-hmm. movie is a story about yes. survival and isolation, like societal isolation and what you do with it when it's, out of your control. Like, what do you do with the hand that you're dealt? Like, You bite the finger off. <laughs> exactly, you bite the finger off. And, you know, this character is a cannibal that, you know, doesn't necessarily want to be a cannibal. And Timothée and other, you know, forces in, in the movie are kind of convincing her that, you know, girl, this is who you are, so why don't you lean in and figure out what you do, like, about it? How you can... Lean in and take it. a bite, take yeah, a bite. Take a bite, take a bite, exactly. So, on Timmy, I will say, obviously, this movie can't exist without Timmy was perfect, added the realism and the naturalism that marries with Luca Guadagnino's style uh, on a really, really cool, like, fantastical premise. That said... Oh, no. I'm so sorry. I I really don't like being... I don't like doing this. I don't like doing this. And yet you do it over and over again. And yet you do it over and and over again. And yet you bring it to us every ball. I think Taylor Russell is a movie star, uncontestably. And I think she... I would watch her in so many other things. I think that next to Timmy, her performance felt a little too YA. Because what Timmy gave to me was not YA. It was like pure realism But I felt like the way the movie was written, like specifically the dialogue, was extremely YA. And I, you know, we were texting after and I was like, I felt a little YA. And you were like, well, it was based on a YA book, girl. And I was like, oh, like I can, of course, like I can tell, like that is like rich on the page. And so, and this doesn't mean that I disliked the movie, but I, I just, I was like, I wanted it to either be YA or complete and total realism and I I did think that Taylor's performance felt a little weak next to Timmy's I because like sh- he could sell the dialogue more than but when she was selling it she was selling it like with this kind of upbeat like why anus is like all I can muster like the, what to, to describe her but uh, it, I it was still great. I don't, like, I I don't know I wonder if what you're seeing is that she was playing a teenager because she was and like I, I just honestly like, I, I guess I get what you're trying to say, but I thought that that all worked really well in the context like of the movie, and and I really felt like she and Timothy, especially, but everyone were all in the same movie, which I think sometimes doesn't happen, um, like in films that are this massive, not just because like the awards of it all, but like the movie star and like, you know, the, the like auteur director, but I, I like believed their love story. Yeah. And I also believed even more than that in her journey. I was too, because the thing is, she's the, the, the protagonist. Timmy does not come in for quite a while into the movie, which I appreciated. I thought it was really cool. And so that's why I felt like Timmy's like performance was like, you know, it felt unintentional. It felt like it unintentionally disrupted the genre that we they were in. Um, and so, I personally think that they were not in the same movie. But I do think that they, they both brought something to the romance that was essential and definitely believable. So, I don't feel at any point like the 
premise or like what they were doing was unbelievable because I was just honestly having so much fun. Still, like I get what you're saying, but I think there's a difference between YA and something that is about teenagers. And I actually thought this movie... Yeah, I agree. I totally I thought this film did a really good job of telling a story that was about teenagers, but like in a way, like from an adult's perspective and not from... Like, yes, it was a coming of age story, but it didn't feel um, like juvenile. Yeah, it really was about the dialogue for me. Like, I felt like dialogue had been lifted from the books because it was clunky, it was over-enunciative, it was a lot of telling instead of showing, it was full sentences instead of, like, things that would be naturalistic kind of, like, fragments. Like, I would never have felt like it was too YA if Timmy wasn't in the film, right? Like, I think Taylor brought exactly what the film needed, and then Timmy just brought in a different energy, and then I was just like, okay, that it just it just like felt different to me like and i i i didn't under i didn't buy their chemistry 100 per, 100% of the time but like it's that that's not it's not really taylor it's not really either their there's faults like that's to me a directing issue and that's oh, but me, I, at the oh, end of the day God, i loved i know i loved I, the directing I thought like some there cinema was beautiful all the production was beautiful it's just simply on that element of the direction i like you know? i noticed so many of these little like stylistic flourishes um that i really recognized from suspiria which is the last film that that luca guadagnino made and i just think he has such a clear vision that he's really able to turn towards each of these different worlds if you look at the past three movies he's made like very different subject matters but like still like this very consistent gaze and point of view. Mm. I also loved the score, which was done by um, Trent Reznor uh, of Nine Inch Nails and Atticus Ross. And, you know, they've done a bunch of film scores at this point. One of Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of music, I've been listening to the new Way's Blood album a lot. And she's a girly who I have not really been that much into, but you have really been singing her praises for a while. I think I, re- I remember when we went to Joshua Tree last year, you were playing her a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we were on vacay, and I was like, ooh, like, we were cooking, I think. And I was like, ooh, I want to put on this album that we were that I was talking about, um, which was Titanic Rising. And that album is for the virgins. So fucking good. Um, but her new album, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I loved it, too. It was so beautiful. It's very pretty. It's, you know, I I do think it's, like, sliding into this space that... Uh, I mean, kind of a lot of music, like, is how I receive it at first, which is where it takes a while for me to really figure out what are the standout songs for me, and it all just kind of, like, blends together, and I think the dreamy quality of her voice sort of exacerbates that, Um, but Mm. now that I've spent more time with it, like, there are some songs that are really standing out to me, like, God Turned Me Into a Flower, so beautiful, Mm. Um, Hearts Aglow, but she, like... She really does sound so much like Joni Mitchell with, like, a little Nico thrown in, but it's insane. Nico's such a good comp. I I had never thought of that. Yeah, she has this kind of, like, 
she is one of those artists where her vocal her very her her vocal specificity is what anchors the music right and yeah I for the versions I feel like she's like wise but it's very like Karen Carpenter if like she mm. had an electric keyboard an electronic keyboard and like sang about depressive relationships and like being anxious at parties totally. like yeah you know, Karen like, Carpenter it's very, is a really good comparison yeah also. I think it was this is something that's really cool about her rose like she was she grew up like very evangelical christian and so a lot of like her a lot a lot of her music is like inspired by church music and inspired by kind of religious fanaticism giving up cocaine a little bit i was gonna say like i i honestly think that like with wise bud and definitely with ethel kane like i kind of fall in love with the story of them as much as I fall in love with the music, because I do love seeing the references. And when you hear the references so clearly in the music, like, I don't know, it just like makes me feel so, I just like love seeing like the brain on the track, you know, it's, it's, it's so gorge. I love. Um, Speaking of brains and other body parts, (laughs) you were telling me over text that you have started watching the new um, Netflix Wednesday show. Yes, which I, I can't remember if you if you watched it early for work or something. Or, yeah, I, but I, I watched it like a month ago, and and, okay. and I had a great time watching it. I think it's so fun. Yeah, I I honestly I had really low expectations. I'm not gonna lie. Like following our Tim Burton episode and and thinking about just like um, what the things that we come to expect from Netflix shows. I I really loved the series right away like such a pleasant surprise to me um it di- it was very like we need to fill the gap that sabrina left like i felt that hard but like i i'm not mad at it you know like and and jenna ortega who plays wednesday is a marvel yeah, like she's, she she's is a star so good she's a star a star she's been great in everything that she's done and and it kind of has taken up until this point to find the right vehicle to truly, I think, unleash her star power because she's done a lot of mm. supporting roles. She's been in a lot of Netflix things. Um, she was in X earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And she... She was in the Scream movie as well, the Scream reboot. Yes. She plays the most annoying character in You. <laughs> she does. Um, For some It's like, I, but again, now she's found her vehicle. She just has it. She is perfect... Yeah at the deadpan Wednesday thing, those, like, little moments of, like, um, you know, uh, levity, like, the sort of, like, smirk uh, she does. She, the dance scene, like, was so the fun. dance scene. I think... It, no spoilers for the virgins. It was the scene I think there's me. a I lot of... the dance scene. I think there's a lot of young actors, especially, who would do a role like this, and would be sort of rolling their eyes the whole time. And like, mm-hmm. like a, oh, like, LOL, can you believe I'm doing this? But she's just like mm-hmm. so committed to it that it yeah. works. And the- and like, I really appreciate that because like, yes, Wednesday is a character who is like, you know, like the prototypical, like, um, you know, goth girl. Um, she's you know the 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 black print for Lydia Dietz and and like all the other like sad, angry goth girls who like have guillotines. Um, but she just like really pl- she she is the has to be the straight man in her own show, mm-hmm. and just like does it so well. 
That's such a good way of putting it. Like, she is someone who's just kind of, like, bearing witness to, like, the idiocy around her. Like, for, if if you haven't watched it yet, like, the virgins, like, it's very, it's, she is the protagonist. And her family, like, isn't in the movie as much as she is, you know, basically starting life at a new academy called Nevermore. It's, it's very Monster High meets, like, Daria, right? It's, like, <laughs> yeah. murderous Daria, yeah. you know, like... And and I loved that. And I thought that, like, it, whoever concepted this, because it wasn't Tim Burton, whoever, like, concepted the show, like, understood the, like, cur- the, the contemporary relevance of a character like Wednesday, who has has had, like, jokes about, like, anti-colonization, like, back in, like, the 90s and early aughts, right? Like, there were things about this character that were, like, against the world and against the oppressive forces of the world. And, you know, the Adams family was a, a Latin family, even though that didn't really come through in a lot of the iterations of the franchise and was only present in, I think, the after the cartoon, right? Is, like, when they were like, oh, yeah, I guess his first name's Gomez. So, like, I guess he's Latin, right? Like... You know, I I was reading a little bit about, like, the history of um, Adam's family and how um, when uh, John Astin, the original Gomez, um, was cast, they were like, yeah, you need to, like, lean into, like, the Latin lover energy of the portrayal or whatever, which is obviously very cringe now. But it was, like, it just, like, you know, there were no Latin characters on screen at all. And so to have um, an adaptation that sees, like the relevance and also just like how effortless all of that is folded into the world. It was so, it's so fun. It is. It is. It is very fun. It's dark. It leans into the darkness. It it really doesn't like pull punches because it is a show ostensibly for and about teens. Um, I loved that Christina Ricci was in it. You know, Christina Ricci played Wednesday in the, the nineties films. Um, and she was so fun in it. And um, yeah, I just had a, I had a good time. Catherine Zeta-Jones was slayed when she was on screen. Um, you know, there are some questions I have about the the world and that like I don't think were like answered as satisfactorily maybe as they could be. But um, I, I like I would definitely watch a season two. No, I mean, honestly, I think that, like, Riverdale is a comp for this show because there are a lot of twists and turns where if you're a teen or a preteen watching this, you're not, you don't care about, like, the kind of, like, the the logistical or believable, the believability of the emotional stakes of these characters when they are sometimes a little thin, but you're, because it's so drama and because it's so, like, such a juicy and eccentric teen show like I don't know I I do have fun watching it even when I'm just like oh this is like a teen show you know speaking of reboots um I I did try to watch Disenchanted try I Ryan Ryan and I watched 30 minutes of it and had to turn it off Wait, wait, wait. Can you explain to the virgins actually like the cultural importance of this moment? Because like you two are very like Amy Adams a Oh, oh you yeah. You two love the original Enchanted. So like what yes. happened? What, what it was, was bad. it for you? That's, that's what? what happened. It was <gasps> just like I couldn't do it. I didn't want to. I'm shook. So you're never going to watch the other half of it? Uh, no, I'll, I'll probably, not half, 30 minutes because <laughs> right. we, were wa- we were watching it and then paused it to eat and we were like, okay, it's got to be halfway over now. And that's when we realized we were only a third it's of a the way. It was, we, it's a long yeah, movie. We realized we were only like a quarter of the way in and we were like, nope, 
given up. <laughs> I'm okay. sure I'll go back and finish it at some point, but I'm not like in a rush to watch it. To be honest, like it was better than Hocus Pocus 2, but it did make me feel That's the not same way. Much. I know. <laughs> it made me feel the same way. Like it made me feel like they were trying to make the magic happen twice instead of finding something that's like really interesting about this world and like reinvigorating it. Um, I don't just know. From, I, what, from what I saw, it was just lacking what was so perfect about the original besides that it was like amazing and, and like the music was great and all this stuff. The original Enchanted is meta commentary on Disney movies. And like mm. from what I watched, this was not doing any of that. And that's one of the reasons why Enchanted works so well. It's like maybe the main reason why Enchanted works so well. Honestly, we, and can we talk about that? Because it's so true. Like the original Enchanted was a subversion of Disney's core principles in like perfection and idealism. And it poking fun at itself. Yes. It was, ge- it was, it was ingenious. Like it was so crazy to watch at, if you're a Disney-holic because it's ripping open all of these you know, things that we don't really allow, that we don't usually see in Disney movies. And so, yeah, I I agree. I don't think that the next movie was, the second movie was amazing. Can I rattle off just like a few observations because I did finish the movie? Sure. Um, I felt that Amy Adams had not aged a day. I did not see a single pore on her skin. I'm not going to comment on a woman's (laughs) body, so I will say nothing. I thought she looked incredible. I don't know where Disney is getting all of these bad child actors. They are all so, so hard to listen to. And then they have to anchor so many scenes. And I'm like, Are you talking about the daughter? Yes. Well, because you know, that's, that's the daughter from Enchanted. It's the same actress. Why? Why didn't they just pick a new girl? Why did they do that? Did they really do that? Yeah. Oh my God, I had no idea. Um, okay, I also just, I, um, <laughs> the movie, so do you, do you get to like the twit, the kind of twist where, you know, she no. be, where, okay. So Amy Adams basically makes herself the wicked stepmother and creates the world around, like, very WandaVision-esque, like, has a spell that makes the world of this suburbia enchanted. Like, fantasy is now on Earth in her suburb. And so she is, like, this wicked stepmother that goes up against Maya Rudolph, who is, like, the evil queen of the world. But Rose, she does not sell wicked stepmom at all. Like... It is, and and it's so disappointing because I actually think Amy is good enough to do that. But like, she is, she's not believable at all at what should be a really fun and engaging like, like twist of her character. Like she can't be evil. And I was so sad that she didn't like stick the landing. When you do watch it, I'd be curious. I mean, you, I feel like you would probably feel the same way. Um, but yeah. And then honestly, my last thing that like I think also you would have the same critique is that there of course is a sequence where they go back into the like the animated world of like Enchanted. And the animation style is trash, mama. Like it is like so ugly. It's giving like like millennial like medical ad like like cartoon no. like Oh, they're so specific <laughs> and like yes. I got immediately what you meant. <laughs>
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has skeletons in their closet. Mine certainly does. Ones that go back a hundred years and reach thousands of miles back to our hometown in Sicily. Ever since I can remember, my relatives told the story of my great-great-grandmother who was killed by the mafia. I'm Joe Piazza, and in my new podcast, I'm taking on a generational vendetta, visiting the scene of the crime, confronting mafia experts, tracking down Italian officials, and even consulting mediums to set the record straight on my great-great-grandmother's mysterious disappearance. And in between the fact-finding missions, I'll be drinking a lot of wine and eating all of the pasta. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this is another unusual one where I, um, it kind of took me a while to see Carol. I I did not watch it until Christmas 2019. Wow. God bless. I would definitely was aware of it. I just never, you know, got around to seeing it and then realized it was, you know, a glaring omission and yeah. watched it. And I mean, obviously, immediately fell in love. Um, Not just a glaring omission in the consumption of the canon, but your canon. Like, it's yes. such a you movie. You know yes. what I mean? Um, and... I guess, well, when did you, did you see it when it first came out? I did you see it in theaters? I definitely, I'm pretty sure I saw it. I did not see it in theaters. Oh, I think I, I saw it. I wish it. I had seen it in theaters. Yeah, it would have been really nice to see it in theaters. It is a movie that feels like a movie, isn't I it? I wonder if Cinespia will do a Carol Christmas screening. Of course, Maybe I'll fly they? back from, to LA for that. Uh, honestly, after, so I rewatched for the episode and I do feel like it's now something I have to watch every year. It is oh, a yeah, rewatch. It is, it is one of the Christmas movies. Yes. So for any virgins who haven't seen Carol, um, it is the story of Therese Bellavet, who is a, you know, part-time seasonal employee at a department store girl. in 1950s New York City. 
And one day she waits on Carol Aird, who is a wealthy um, suburban housewife, and there's instantly a spark between the two of them. Carol leaves her gloves um, in the children's toy department. Who's to say if it was on purpose or an accident? Yes, where she's been um, buying a a gift for her daughter, Lindy. A train set. And let me tell, well, she was looking for a doll. It's so funny. The dynamic's really funny. She was looking for the dolls. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's honestly like Carol is literally walking into the store and her kind of vibe is like, my daughter wants a fucking doll. I don't really know why she wants a doll. It's this very specific doll. I don't care. And then, and then she's like, yeah, not, she's like well, this fucking kid. Yeah, this fucking kid. And then, of course, this like hot young thing, like, is like actually I, when I was young, I wanted a train set. And, of get, course, and get, yes, is she exactly? You know? Carol clocks it and was like. I'll take one. Load it up in the car. She's like, did you say a train? <laughs> did you say a train? Because so, there's actually nothing more, you know. Nothing gayer than a train. Than a train set. Then then not just like, it's not about the train. It's not about transportation. It's about like creating the train set. Like you are actually the arbiter and constructor of the whole ass train set. And that actually was the spark between them. <laughs> Phoebe is losing it in the booth right now. That is so deep. So (laughs) as the story goes on, so Carol leaves her gloves and Therese, whose, you know, uh, imagination and sexuality have been, you know, piqued by Mm -hmm. this older woman, Mm -hmm. uh, sends her her gloves back and and Carol invites her out to the suburbs in Connecticut, I Mm, believe. That's where she lives. Or Jersey. Doesn't really matter. One one of those. Um, And they have, you know, just a very, like, girls being girls, like, night, listening to records by the fire, smoking cigarettes. Yes, their first encounters are, uh, I wouldn't say platonic, but they don't make physical advances on each other. Yes. You know, so they go speak. out, they eat creamed spinach. Yeah. <laughs> creamed spinach with a poached egg, which honestly disgusting. disgusting, but like also sounds really good. No, can you imagine bottoming after eating creamed spinach and like a jammy egg? Like I would be worried. That's not something I well, want. Well, I my don't. System. Well, I don't know that they're having butt sex. <laughs> you are. I love how you foreclosed on the kind of like sexual proclivities of. But Carol I think you're. But I think you're. You're Bella thinking Beth. of their sex life through the lens of a person who has sex with their butt, <laughs> and they and you're grafting your sexuality onto these two. Wi- these I don't two know cis what, women. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. I have no. I don't think you're really. I don't. I don't know if you're onto something. Thing. But um, let's just say, you know, things get romantic. Uh, things are also complicated because Carol is in a, you know, sort of a tumultuous divorce with her ex, Harge. Mm-hmm. And Carol and Therese decide to kind of run away together on this road trip. They are pursued by a private detective. There is lots of intrigue. It's very twisty. Yeah. And, and I, sexy. And yeah. they do fuck. And I think when thinking about kind of the cultural impact or maybe just like general sentiment about the movie when it came out, like it's so funny. Like Carol really does replicate all the tropes we've seen before in a kind of gay romance drama in a lot of ways, right? Like it, it back to our discussion on My Policeman, like there's like a woman who has a straight partner, right? And she has to reconcile that in order to, you know, chase her, you know, desire or whatever. 
But like their performances are so good and the movie is so good and the tension is so expertly built. Like you're not even mad that they're not fucking for like most of the movie because I think the anticipation is like pristine. Like, Yeah, I think it's a little different though because even though, um, you know, the the hetero society is an obstacle to their love, yeah. it's not really an internal obstacle. Mm-hmm. Like, Therese knows right away that she wants Carol, and mm-hmm. Carol has experience with women, as we see with her friend Abby, played by Sarah Paulson, who is also an ex of hers. I mean, hello, the lesbians, they're still friends. Of course. Um, I, let the, I got my eye on this redhead line. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I I agree. Yeah, it's it's different, and I think a a lot of it also has to do with the fact that this movie champions the romance. Like, it's not about the all the moving parts. Like, obviously, it's very melodramatic, but Kate Blanchett is just and, so good. And the fact that it is more of a romance is kind of a deviation from the source material. I don't, oh. know, I don't know if you've ever read The Price of Salt. Did you? I read it after I watched the movie. Mm. I was on a Patricia Highsmith kick. And uh, The Price of Salt is much – well, I mean, if you read – if you've read any Patricia Highsmith, this won't come as a surprise that The Price of Salt is much more of a thriller because that's what Patricia Highsmith did is she wrote thrillers. Oh, I didn't know that. And it's much more about – them being on the run from the detective at the end than it is about, I would say, like, the movie is much more, the weight is on the beginning of their love story and, like, the romance of it, and then that all is kind of, like, a sort of third act thing with the detective. When the detective happens, it's, like, the climax. Yeah, and I would say that is kind of half of The Price of Salt is all the stuff with Harge and... Wait. But the the thing is that it's still... They both have very hopeful endings. Yeah. You know? And actually the ending is even more clearly hopeful Mm. in the novel than it, it... It's more explicitly, like, a happy ending in the novel than it is in the book. Do you remember how it goes down yeah it's with it ends with them you know like getting back together oh but it's with this with the movie it's a little kind of like like they both feel kind of weird about it they're both you know have it feels like Rooney Mara has like it has hang-ups about getting back into Carol's you know grasp again yeah I mean it it ends with with the possibility that they could reconcile because they are in the same place once again (laughs) Whereas in the novel, it's, like, more definitively that they are going to get back together. Yeah. Okay, wait. So do you think – do you consider yourself a Carol or a Therese? You're a Carol. I'm a Carol. Yeah, you're a Carol, right? Because you're the one that likes to strut in and be like, this is how it's going to happen. Yeah, I would say I'm I'm the mom in the relationship. Because this – the MILF energy in this movie is unparalleled. Unparalleled. Real. Okay, when every time she wears a pair of every time she wears a pair of sunglasses, over. Oh, the looks the over. looks in this movie are Stunning. out of this world in, into the stratosphere. Every single I, I want every uh, item of clothing that both of them wear. And this is there's something also about movies that take place in this era and Carol specifically. I was also thinking about this with like League of Their Own. 
Smoking is so sexy. Oh, smoking so <laughs> we need to, hot. We need to bring back cigarettes, everybody. No. Smoking needs to be brought back if, if into you, the culture. If you could, honestly, if you could smoke just without the smell, mm. I would be smoking a pack a day. <laughs> Seriously. Thank God it's that so, it smells bad. It's so chic to smoke. <laughs> it is. Except when you smell like Especially cigarettes. Especially when they used to smoke indoors. God. Do you remember the oh era when God. we could smoke at restaurants? Yes. By we, I mean, we were children. But we like, were children. But like, there was um, there was a... um. A Nathan's slash, uh, like, uh, Rob, Rob something rotisserie chicken restaurant in my neighborhood growing up where there was a smoking section in it. I There was also a diner in Illinois that I used to – wait, I need to find out what it's – And when I first started going to bars – when I was in high school and like sneaking into gay bars, you were you could smoke in there. There was this like open late diner in my suburb um, in Illinois called Beef and Brandy. <laughs> that had a smoke out of smoker section. I remember that it was sounds disgusting. like a place that Carol would take to rest to Beef and Brandy. Yeah, uh, that honestly is a really good restaurant name. Beef and Brandy. Um, is it? Yeah, I think it's because, like, okay, obviously... Let's open, beef, a, let's open a franchise. Yeah, Brandy goes with beef. And also probably is, <laughs> like, a... I feel like in, in this kind of, like, uh, in this uh, dichotomy, I think Carol is the Brandy. Okay, so um, you... <laughs> uh, so I already beef. answered that I'm a Carol. Okay. Does, are you a, a Carol or a Therese? I'm, I'm a Therese. I would like... Yeah. I wish I was a Carol. But well, no, I, I play defense. But also, okay, actually, here's what I think the dynamic of this podcast is. Okay. You're Therese, Phoebe's Carol, ah! and I'm Sarah Paulson. The smoking gun. Sarah Paulson! <laughs> I think that's it. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. 
I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. I'm not gonna lie, I actually can definitely own up to being a, a Rooney Mara type. Like, I really play, I cannot tell when people are hitting on me. I absolutely play dumb. It doesn't matter how entranced I am. Like, all I can do is say yes. How enchanted you are. Enchanted. It was enchanting to meet you. <laughs> no, stop. I love Rooney Mara, and honestly, we were promised a Rooney Mara career that we did not get. And this kind of – this her being in this movie, I believe, is a direct consequence of that. And so I'm okay with it. But she was poised to be such a gigantic movie star when The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo came out because that was set up to be this phenomenon. And it never – took off quite the way that I think people expected it to because of what a sensation the book was. But I am obsessed with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And Mm. for me, like Carol, it is an annual Christmas watch. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is a Christmas movie. Shut up! It is! She's so wintry. She's excellent in that movie. She was nominated, right? She was nominated for an Oscar, So she, okay, she had... And the the press lead up to that movie, when she she and Daniel Craig did so many shoots Mm. in character, Uh, there's one where, like, she's, he's, like, giving her a tattoo, or he's giving, one of the, I don't know. In the movie? uh, No, they did a bunch of photo shoots, like, in character. She was given a tattoo? And, like, she was naked in these photo shoots. I mean, I was so obsessed with the haircut she got for the movie with, like, the little baby bang, and she's so sexy in that, and the way they fuck in it, and, oh, she was so good. And I do think that if that movie had been more of a hit, she would have been a movie star in a different way than she is now. And she might never have done Carol. So I guess I'm kind of glad that the girl with the dragon tattoo low-key flopped. Yeah, I didn't know that it flopped. I thought it was like such a... I mean, she's so fucking good in that movie. Um, well, there was I, there were never any sequels but because I, it wasn't super financially successful. Oh, I wonder also if like her playing Tiger Lily in that Peter Pan movie also played a part in like her like fl- her like kind of flopped them as an actress. Unfortunately, I don't because of Hollywood <laughs> being the way it is. Yeah, I right. don't think that negatively impacted her career, even though it like should have. But something that should be said about Rooney was that she was chasing an Oscar for like many consecutive years, and there were like you know rumors about I can't remember which one she lost for, but she lost one of her in one of her Oscar races. She lost. 
Austin, she reportedly like was like in the bathroom like crying immediately. Wouldn't after, you like, be loving. though if no. you lost an Oscar? No, I girl, wouldn't. No, girl. I would be upset, but I wouldn't be in the bathroom girl, crying. You no. would be in not, the bathroom I'm crying. Not, I'm not demonizing her for that. I'm just providing context for the virgins. Um, one of the other things that I was um reading about was that um she you know there's a lot of like unfairness in how people decide what is a best supporting actress or best lead actress and that she was best supporting in this role but she's like on screen for more of the movie than Kate Blanchett is. Yeah, but the movie's called Carol. Yes, and it's also Kate fucking Blanchett. Like, of course she's gonna suck the air out of the room anytime any other you know what I mean? Like obviously they're they're mirrored performances. I think they're both equally talented and incredible but I know that there was also saltiness about how um, you know best supporting was decided and I wonder if if there was like drama there that stuff is all bullshit anyway Um, Todd Haynes who directed this film you know has made a lot of other very gay kind of movies I haven't seen a lot of his films but when I was a teenager I was obsessed with Velvet Goldmine. Have mm. you seen it? No, I've never even heard of it. It's um, Christian Bale, Ewan McGregor, and Jonathan Riz Myers, the guy from The Tudors. Mm. And it's sort of like a Bowie. It's like about these rock stars who are sort of like based on Bowie. It's mm. super gay. Mm. There's like full frontal male nudity. Oh, I love full frontal male it's nudity. so good. Is Have you seen Far From Heaven? I have not. I haven't either. That's when Julianne Moore fucks her son, though, right? <laughs> That's news to me. Yeah. But it's one I of. Mean, it's going, one of. Going back to our incest conversation <laughs> from the porn episode. <laughs> no, well, we might have edited that out. <laughs> we'll find out. Um, no, Far From Heaven is one of multiple movies where Julianne Moore fucks her son. Yeah. She fucks. <laughs> one of multiple movies? Yes. She play, she yes. In son? Far From Heaven, she also plays. Um, um, she also fucks her son in Savage Grace with Eddie Red. I think it's Eddie Red. Why is she always fucking her son? I don't know, because she likes to play complex female characters. Who fuck their son? Uh, yes. Why not? Why not? It's complex. But I haven't seen either of these. Incest. Um, dramas but i would like to <laughs> that that's those the types of film that todd haynes makes is incest dramas. I, I, mean, yeah. I don't know if i would categorize them like that <laughs> there's i was gonna say there should be more there should be more incest dramas <laughs> representation matters oh god no i'm just oh, kidding i'm god. just kidding i'm just Tis kidding. the season okay 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 so back Deck to the halls chat. with your son's load yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dying. Okay. So- you know, I used to, you know, I used to, um, when I was a, a party producer, I used to throw an annual Christmas party called Dick the Balls. <laughs> Not Dick the Balls. Yeah, Dick the Balls. That's the lowest hanging fruit, if you know I, what I mean. Yes, I know. That was the whole point. <laughs> The whole point. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, um, something that's interesting in this movie specifically, and I guess in the book, even though I hadn't read the book, is the kind of power, a very common power dynamic we see in queer relationships, maybe specifically lesbian relationships. And I kept thinking about Tar when I was watching it. Mm. Uh, and like how... The age gap of it all, the mommy vibes of it all. Yeah, and it's funny to watch, too, knowing that, like, Kate is, like, gay. Like, I think we all at this point know that, like, Kate Blanchett is, like, kind of Queen Latifah style, like, gay. Is she? 
Yes, I think that's like an industry secret, you know? But then she keeps playing lesbians. Yes, yes, because she can do that. She's Kate Blanchett. She's literally one of the most famous people on the planet. She can do whatever she wants without talking about her sexuality, which someone did ask her about her sexuality once in the Carol press junket, and she said very quickly that she has had many relationships with women, but she claims that that quote was taken out of context, and she said, oh, you mean sexual relationships? None. <laughs> maybe if we get Kate an Oscar for Tar, maybe she'll come out in her Yeah, well, what, what did it take for Jodie Foster to come out? She got, like, a gla- like an HRC award or oh, whatever. God. Like, what was it? We don't know. I, I don't edge. want Kate to ever attend a GLAAD Awards or an HRC no. benefit. Keep no. her far away. Kate is... Too high profile for that shit. That is kind of unfortunately, though. Although I would love if we won a GLAAD award. So if you're listening, we're (laughs) open to it. We will appear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we can confirm appearance. Um, I do think actually, though, that like PR people, I mean, you and I used to work on Netflix, not to say that, but to say that. Like a lot of people that work on PR teams for major celebrities are saying that. They're saying, like, this person is actually too big for queer media, queer awards, queer things. Like, that's too limiting. And, you know, to the extent, unfortunately, like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's you, kind of, tr- like, yeah. true almost. Well, like, we used to queer be... media has not been legitimized in this media scape. So, of course, like, A-listers don't want to go for it. Totally. You know, we, as people who used to be queer journalists, like, you know, like, if you go to one major film junket and you see that, like, as someone from a queer outlet and you see the position that you're in that day to interview the celebrities, you get a very clear idea of where you are in the pecking order. Or sometimes, like, when you're on a press line on a red carpet, if you're, like, the last person at the end of the line, like, when you're from a queer outlet, that's how it always happens. Oh, yeah. And also just, like, don't try it, like, at a junket. Like, you're not going to go in with the spicy question. Like, you'll get cut (laughs) off. Well, I did. (laughs) Right. But, like, mostly a lot of times. I made a career out of it. (laughs) (laughs) But your questions weren't that spicy. They were kind of fun. Um, They were pretty spicy. I told Timothy Chalamet that I was going to bring him a peach and that I would have eaten his cum out of it in Call Me By Your Name. You didn't say that explicitly. I I implied it. (laughs) He knew what I was saying. He was picking up what I was putting down. And he loved it. And you know what? He loved it and he gave me a hug afterwards. And then he gave me another hug when he saw me downstairs. Yeah. He was stunning. Love. Mia Goth did not love it so much. But that's another story for another time. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done 
has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. I just will watch Kate play a lesbian every damn time. Like, I think she's done it. I think she's done it more than just Tar and Carol, but now I can't remember. Well, also, Ocean's 8, it's very obvious that she (laughs) and Sandy Bullock had a thing. It almost feels like Kate kind of has, like, she could walk into a room and, and have, like, sexual chemistry with this lampshade. You know what I mean? But like, only if the lampshade identified as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that is the power of Kate. Like she The has, power of Kate. She's Galadriel. She's Galadriel. Yeah. It's so funny, like, because Galadriel was my entry point into Kate. Not to make this a Kate episode, but it is kind of a Kate episode. It's Carol. Yeah. She is Carol. She's Carol. Um, Galadriel was my entry point to Kate. And Galadriel, to me, is altogether... perfectly um, encapsulates what a Kate Blanchett role should be. And at the same... Yes. And at the same time, I think Galadriel is like way different from all of her other roles too because it's so genre. Um, Well, I guess there's like the Thor movie, but I don't, I don't, I don't consider it. I don't think about the Thor movie. Yeah. I, I actually, I revisited Thor Ragnarok somewhat recently and I don't think it's actually very good and I think she's not great in it. I liked the movie as something that broke open Thor and made it fun and roller coastery to watch. I like Taika Waititi, you're not as much a fan. Hated Kate's character. Hated the CGI. I mean, she was CGI for like 70% of the movie anyways. but But I do like that one image that came out of it of Kate standing next to Taika. Yeah. Um, Okay, so back to the the power dynamics and the age gap of it all. I feel like this has become such a huge part of internet discourse, specifically with Gen Z. Mm. The, like, 
prudish hand-wringing about age gaps in relationships. Why, like, why are Gen Z such prudes? Like, Mm. why are they boomers? (laughs) Kind of, yeah. Uh, Like, I've seen... They That's are. The like, I've seen TikToks where where Gen Z are like talking about how it's disgusting that like a 22 year old is in a relationship with like a 34 year old. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. No. It's it's silly. It's it's to me. It's just like groupthink, right? They're all on TikTok. They're all consuming the same ideas. Like, every generation has done a version of this where we all decide to commit to one obscenely bad idea and or belief system. And, like, I think this is just one of those things. And, you know, like, I get that there's nuance in age gaps and power dynamics and that, like, of course those things should be acknowledged. But when everyone is, you know, legal and above the age of consent, it's why, it's I don't know it kind of it's like the same thing as the queer baiting thing like stay out of people's relationships yeah I think honestly the way to think about it is like obviously like age plays legal has like legal constraints and like how we talk about relationships or whatever but like at the end of the day the ethical framework for like age gap relationships is all about power and you can have an abusive power dynamic in an age gap relationship that is perfectly legal you know what i mean Mm -hmm. it's not about like whether like how young the person is or how old the person is it's about like what is the makeup of this relationship and is it healthy for both parties are they both consenting to it right and like in carol they're clearly consenting to it but i wonder if there was ever like a grooming conversation or something i i don't know i'm sure i'm sure there's there's like gen z kids watching carol now and like carol groomed Therese. yeah right (laughs) Like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, probably. I, I honestly feel like um, there wasn't... I feel like no one problematized Carol. Like, there was no... I don't remember any sort of controversy. Like, no one was complaining that there were, like, straight actors in queer roles. You know what I mean? Like, another, which I love. Another thing I fully don't care about anymore. Yeah, I kind of... I care a lot about, like, cis actors in trans roles. Yes, that that's different because yeah. that... That has real-world consequences because as anyone who, you know, has watched uh, Disclosure knows um, that that trans women being portrayed by men in movies perpetuates the idea that trans women are men in women's clothing, mm-hmm. which leads to real-world violence being enacted on trans women. So that has real-world consequences, but a straight actor playing a gay character has no real world impact outside of more straight actors getting cast as gayer characters. Yeah. Like, there's no consequence to it. Like, I-, I simply don't care about it. Like, I, yes, I think it would be great if there was a, mo- there were more equal opportunity for gay actors to both play gay, gay characters and straight characters. Yeah. I wish there wasn't an industry bias that shut gay actors out from playing straight characters or shut gay actors out from if they do play a gay role from mm. doing anything besides playing gay. I mm. think that's something that you see more often when actors talk about that. They talk about the ways in which they are pigeonholed. But I like I just fully don't care about it anymore. Yeah. To me, the fallacy in thinking that it doesn't matter 
you know, what orientation this person is, is like mostly, it mostly depends on whether or not this person is a good actor. Because Cate Blanchett, of course, can carry this role and stick the landing. This because I feel like we've talked about this before, but like to me, a lot of what it comes down to is like, do you stick the landing? And like that's why no one I mean, people kind of complained about Call Me By Your Name, but like faggots love that movie because they're both I mean, I don't think Army Hammer is actually that great. But Timothy Timothy is so good in it yeah. that you have no choice but to love the film. And so to me, like I think that I get frustrated when straight actors are in queer roles and they're also, like, not great actors. And if I don't see, like, the nuances of of what you want to see in, like, a queer character, then I think, then, yeah, it should be problematized, you know? Like, I think that should be kind of the metric. It's like, is this contributing something good or bad to, like, our canon at the end of the day? Like, is it a good story? Like, that is the thing that I care about the most. Like, is it a good story? But what – do you mean good by, like, interesting or, go- or are you, like, a moral good? No, no, no. Was it um, executed well? Okay, okay. Like, was it yeah. Carol? Was I, it Call I, Me By Your Name? I you agree know? with that. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, though, also, just, like, maybe segueing out of this, like – um. A, Kate Blanchett was, like, asked about this, I think, again during her, like, tar junket or whatever. And she, you know, was talking about how she thinks that, like, it's important. Well, I'll just read the quote. She says, I think it's important on a society level, you know, to, to like, talk about queer stuff or whatever. And homogeneity in any art form is death. But she kind of goes on to say that, like anything we make, like, doesn't need to be politi- politicized, right? Like, it's not her job to politicize the art, it's, like, the audience's job to interpret it however they want or whatever. And, you know, there's also, like, this moment where she says, like, someone asks her about, like, the sexuality of Tar, and she goes, oh, I didn't think about the character's sexuality at all. And I was like, well, I mean... I was like, well, you... You 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 had you had to to some extent. I mean, it that I think that Kate is like a brilliant person. Like everything she said in like her kind of answer to this totally made sense to me. I was like, work, Diva. Like you know what you're talking about. But when she was like, I don't really, I didn't think about the sexuality at all. I was like, it's very like I don't see color. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of giving the same vibe, even though those are obviously very different like frame frameworks. But. I don't know. I was just like, come on. Like, why do actors keep doing this? Like, we're like well, human because, beings that have sex. And- well, I think a lot of it rests on the fact that we expect actors to, yeah. like, say really profound things in interviews. And they're actors. They're not necessarily, like, particularly smart or, you know, interesting. They're, like, usually, like, attractive and can act. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Which is kind of all I need from them. Yeah. Um, Have you ever been in a relationship where that had an age gap? Um, yes. Well, you know, my, a lot of my very early sexual experiences when I was still a teenager were with older men. Oh. And then when I was first in college, yeah, I was very into older, you know, kind of like daddy types. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I was 17, like fucking... People I shouldn't, should, <laughs> shouldn't, should maybe, but, but, that's, but that's more about them. And I wanted it so yeah. badly. I, um, I, 
would love to be with a daddy type. I would love to be with a mean mommy type, actually. Like, I would love any sort of, like, power. I would love, like, an older... But I've only... I've dated... My age gap relationships are, like, dating someone who's, like, five years younger than me or whatever. Yeah. And it's so... It's it's so... When... It's funny because, like, age gaps don't matter as much when, like, you're past your 30s, I feel. Like, or maybe into um, your 40s. I I definitely have kind of a hard line. And this is, like, where my words about, you know, uh, like, prudish hand-wringing over age gaps does come back to bite me in the ass a little bit. Because <laughs> I don't necessarily see, like, a problem with it. But I also would not want to date or even really fuck someone younger than, like, 25 just because I don't know what I would talk to them about. Right. No, I'm saying when they're both past their 30s, which I think, oh, is that yeah, the yeah, case yeah, of Carol? Because isn't, I, I think No, Teresa's young. She's, oh, really? She's like early 20s. Oh, okay. Yeah, that may, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that's the vibe. Um. Anyways, my point, my point is like, I. it's just interesting how we create like weird kind of like isms about like what's good and bad based on something that is actually like pretty arbitrary yeah um, my, my early sexual experiences <clears throat> i was baby and then uh now i'm usually more mommy um but i don't really want to be mommy i don't want like i don't want to take I, I like the idea of like taking care of someone in a way um you know like i love sure. a twi- i love a twink but um no no I mean s- someone who I truly have like a generational divide with I I don't know that it's gonna work. Let me tell you that's what I was experiencing. I was dating someone who was Gen Z and it was like it was bad. It was I mean it wasn't it was loving. There was a lot of love and like this person was very mature beyond their years. But it was at the end of the day I was like this is a generational divide and I actually don't have anything with you with in common with you um but i am always mean mommy rose like literally in every single age gap relationship i've ever been in and i've been in quite a few i'm always mean mommy and i i do need to be needed like i love taking care of people but like i would love to be taking care of rose i would love I, I would love to be the Rooney Mara. I see myself I think as you, the Rooney. I think you say that in theory, but I don't know if you would be able to accept that kind of care. I think I think from the right partner, I would. But yeah, no, you're, it's true. I, I do have a hard time asking for help or accepting help a lot of the time. But I still well, I would you like need to work on that. I do. I do need to work on that. We've got to yeah. get you into therapy, honey. <laughs> So, virgins, uh, slide into our DMs at Like a Virgin for 2069 on Instagram and tell us: Are you a Carol? Are you a Therese? Would you use a leather glove if you were fisting someone? Uh, we want to know. Mm. I'm your co-host Rose Domu. You can find me anywhere online at Rose Domu, and I'm Fran Torado. You can find me at Fran Squishco anywhere you like. Subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating on Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate it so much. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter, with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Krainchich, and Nikki Etor.
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.